Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 156, and we are recording on Monday, June 26th. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Kendra Winchester, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Kendra. How are you doing today? I am doing okay. It is uh, summer, full-blown <laughs> here. So the corgis, I can't really go out during the day because it's too hot. So we always take them out at night. And I always feel kind of guilty because like it's nine o'clock and they're screaming, running around the yard. <laughs> but they're having a good time. And that's all that matters. Yes. No one. It doesn't matter if that small children are trying to sleep. <laughs> But uh, oftentimes, though, they do play with the kids in the neighborhood, and they love to – we got a ball so that they could throw it around. And so the corgis chase the ball, and they play monkey in the middle with the corgis in the middle. Oh. It's very cute. <laughs> it's so sweet. It Yeah, I was going to say, in Chicago, they – it felt like it was summer for a little bit, but today it was like barely in the 70s. And we currently have our air conditioning cranked up like it's 90 degrees outside. So I'm currently wearing a sweatshirt, (laughs) which is more just a sign that we just need to lay off the air conditioning a little bit. But yeah, not not super summery so far, but it's it's getting there. (laughs) Normally, this by this time of year, Chicago is just miserable. But it always it always manages to surprise us somehow, but oh, we shall see. I'm hoping, well, hopefully it'll pick up next week. Next week is my birthday week. And Happy birthday in I, advance. Thank you very much. And we have, well, we're going to be celebrating the 4th with my in-laws, and a couple days before that, we're going to a Cubs game at Wrigley Field. So I'm like, okay, let, let's get some summery weather here. I took a couple days off from work just to chill and relax and do nothing, and it would be really nice if the weather was good. But we shall see. We shall, indeed. So when you're not playing with the corgis at 9 o'clock at night, have you been reading anything of interest. Yes, yes. I have been reading The Postcard by Anne Brest, translated from French by Tina Cover. And this was, I believe, a Europa edition. I think it was their lead title. It is a beautiful novel. It won a lot of things in France, apparently, which is great. And I cannot remember those off the top of my head, but as always, the book will be linked in the description. So this book is about uh, a Jewish family. This woman gets this postcard, and it was actually a postcard that is 10 years old that was finally sent. And it's, I think, it's like the mid-2000s, right? And so, like, this woman and her mom are trying to figure out because the names on the postcards of people who died in the Holocaust. And they're trying to figure out where on earth, like, who sent this? Why are these people's names on this? What happened to these people? 
So then the mom stops and turns and starts telling the story of their family to her daughter, who's also, I think, an adult at this point. And so we go then back in time and we start at the beginning of this family's life, fleeing, you know, the violence in Russia and moving, you know, to Palestine and moving to different, uh, I think one of the families is in Poland. So like a lot of stuff is happening and we get to see like the migration of, of Jewish peoples across the continent over the course of the 20th century. That sounds really interesting. It is. I love, I love, love, love a very large multi-generational saga. And the mystery part of this is the postcard, right? What happened? You know, what happened to these people? Like, so you want to know that mystery part. So it's not like like a traditional mystery. It's like a literary mystery over the course of a very long time. Yeah, I think I think that's totally legit. Like, and that's yeah, that's that's just one of the awesome things about mysteries is that the concept of a mystery can be used in so many ways and across so many different genres. It's a very it's a very versatile storytelling structure. Yeah, and I think I think, you know, it's interesting. I think that a lot of literary books that are actually mysteries are just considered literary because they're more like air quotes highbrow, you know, and there's a lot of like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like people will just kind of, you know, sniff at different air quotes genre, you know, fiction. But I think mysteries can be literary and can do what this book is doing. And I think that's a really interesting conversation. So we do push the boundaries of mysteries and thrillers here on the podcast. I thought we could push it (laughs) in other ways as well, because I want to know where this postcard comes from. And apparently it's so popular, there are spoilers everywhere. So just, you know, FYI, if you're also on the internet on Goodreads or something, just don't read any reviews. Good to know. Yes, good one. It's a lovely novel. Um, I found the audiobook on Hoopla. So Very nice. Yes, I've gotten my last couple of audiobooks on Hoopla as well. Hoopla is wonderful. And one day, yeah, I will. I, when we aren't talking about mysteries and thrillers, I will ask you how on earth Hoopla works and why one library gets five checkouts and another one gets seven. Oh, short answer, money. <laughs> you know, I was figuring it was that direction, but uh, we will postpone that conversation. <laughs> the mechanics of Hoopla. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, ooh, that is that is a perfect like deep dive. If we were doing a spot for the deep dive of Book Riot Substack. Go check it out. That would be a great – you should pitch that to Jeff. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, that would that would be really <laughs> interesting. The ins and outs of your of your library's ebook collections yes. and, and apps. Yes. And why on earth my library, this new library that I have now, if they only have a certain amount of checkouts per day, so I'm always waiting until like 12.01 to be one of the first checkouts on the next day <laughs> because my library we'll ran out. So yes, we'll talk. We'll talk. Uh, and maybe it'll show up in the like library newsletter or something. That'd be great. You know, I'm just plugging all the book riot things today. <laughs> well, with that, I was going to say, you're just giving me just the greatest segue. Why don't you just jump in to our quick book riot uh, spot that we wanted to mention to everyone? Yes. So last month, we talked about the Substack. This month, we're talking about First Edition, which is Book Riot's new podcast, and I, I love this podcast. It's like Jeff's variety show where he interviews <laughs> people like Haleg Gusini and Sarah Bakewell and so many other people uh, in the book, in like authors, editors, agents, et cetera. 
Then he also interviews Book Riot staff and contributors. I was just on to talk about audiobooks. And Jeff has this theory that the last 15 years have really changed audiobooks. And so we talked through that. And also, like, I'm a disabled person who uses audiobooks to read. How does that impact audiobook and audiobook culture? And I argue that disability culture is also, you know, very much influenced audiobook culture. And I think that's really interesting to to talk about. So I won't spoil it, but we talk about it for like 45 minutes. I don't know how short he edited it, but it was a very long conversation. It was delightful. Jeff is exactly as he is on the podcast. <laughs> like if you listen to the regular book, right? Podcast, it's, it's the same. It's great. Um, then there's also like fun little segments and it's different every time. And so this is a book podcast that I've really wanted to listen to now that a lot of my favorites have ended. So I really, really enjoy it. So that will be linked in the show notes. So definitely go check out First Edition and you can subscribe uh, wherever you find your podcast. All right. Uh, With that, let's go ahead and take a quick pause for our first sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! All right. So if you are new to the show, welcome. We are so delighted to have you with us. And if you're a longtime listener, welcome back. We're very glad we haven't scared you off yet. (laughs) So as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, (laughs) sorry. No, I was like, I was very, it was very delayed. I was like, oh, it's a pun. I got it. I got it. I really like it. We're just, we're just on that vibe. So it wasn't even an intentional (laughs) pun. (laughs) <laughs> oh dear it's subconscious you've been doing this so long it's there so long <laughs> anyway so as i mentioned at the top of the show we talk about mysteries and thrillers and suspense and just about anything that falls under that umbrella and like our initial conversation indicates there's a lot of stuff that can fall under that umbrella we just keep making it bigger and bigger and bigger so if you have listened to the show before, you know that this is the part of the episode where we always put out a call to our lovely listeners to let us know what you would like to hear more of, or if you have any ideas for uh, future show suggestions, whether they are, you know, explorations of a subgenre we we haven't talked about much, just kind of random one-off topics, author read-alikes, award news, movie adaptations, true crime stuff, all of that is just, it's fair game. And we have used so many listener suggestions when we plan out episodes of the show. They are fantastically helpful. They are so entertaining. They let us know what you want to hear more of. They help us expand our own reading horizons. It's just, it's a, it's a great situation all around. So if you have any ideas or show suggestions, you can shoot us an email or reach out to us via social media. We will have all of our contact information at the end of the show and in the show notes. Um, So don't worry about getting all the information down right now. We just put out the call ahead of time to get those creative juices flowing while you listen. 
And even if you don't have an idea and you just want to say hi, that is also fantastic. We love hearing from our listeners just across the board. And if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts so that other people can find us. And with that, um, there hasn't been a whole lot uh, specifically in the news area for that segment of the show. So we're just going to jump into our uh, main segment, which again, going with this idea of expanding the definition of mysteries and thrillers. Kendra, I have to give you credit for for this topic. Shockingly, it was not me. (laughs) Um, But... The We are going to talk about summer scares. And so, yes, we are a mystery and thriller podcast, but that line can move over into the scary and horror end of stuff. Sometimes it's really in between. Sometimes it's definitely leaning more to the horror side. But yeah, what was it? What was it that made that made you come up with summer scares? I mean, I was immediately on board, of course. <laughs> but what 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 put that into your head? I just have read a lot of scary summer well, stories, like stories set in summer, I should say. So this seemed very this seemed like a great time for that, obviously. And so I really like to read books during the season in which they are set. For I don't know, it just makes me I don't know. I read you know Call of the Wild and White Fang during a blizzard, so Ugh. that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so there are a lot of great summer stories that are also scary, and I you know you know my own experience. I didn't I got into horror because of scary summer stories. So that's awesome. I like that because I was kind of thinking about it too, and I was like. I think that there's, you know, people are can be in the mood for that type of read because this is the, this is the season of su- of you know beach reads, summer reads, and these types of stories I think can be very much you know escapist thrillers and you know really you know really easy to get caught up in you know and it's also I think. Maybe maybe it's a little bit easier to stick a toe in the horror waters. Like if you're going to be reading this like poolside when it's really sunny out and it's not, you know, dark and cold and creaky and damp and all of those other things that can, that can invite more, invite scarier, spookier thoughts. So yeah, for me, I was just thinking about just how easy it is to, you know, fall into some of, some of these reads and the ones that I picked... I specifically picked because they are such escapist stories that you could that you just get caught up in. I mean, there's all there's obviously all this other stuff that goes on in there too, but just, you know, at the core, they're just very readable stories. Yeah, and I th- I think summer is the perfect season for that. Yeah, and there are a lot of great options. So, I feel like we, you know, I feel like choosing just two <laughs> was a challenge, but we did it. <laughs> oh, it was a real challenge. It really was. And some of the books I was going through, I'm like, no, I've talked about that one fairly recently. Or no, it, it, I just, I felt like I had already talked about so many of these. So I am, I'm, yeah, I'm relatively pleased with the ones that I picked. And then there are even, there are a couple of other ones that, though I didn't pick them for the episode, I have not read them in so long that I'm like, okay, I'm gonna, it's like, once I finish what I'm currently reading, I'm gonna go in and reread these. So that I can remember, or just to see if I like him as much as I did. But with that, I think your first pick was one that you had not finished, um, but had talked about in a recent episode. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And so it fits perfectly. And I finished it. So I thought I would come back 
and share the end of my thoughts now that I've I've finished the book. Um, so should I start there? Yeah, why don't I was gonna say please part uh, kick us off with part two. <laughs> okay, so that book is Summer Suns by Lee Mandelo, and this book is this Southern Gothic with a lot of romance to it. And so we start out, out with Andrew going to Nashville to go to a grad program researching like Southern folklore. And he has a very specific uh, project in mind because he and his best friend, Eddie, they were working on this project together. And so Eddie went to Nashville first, but when Andrew actually gets there, he's there and his friend Eddie has apparently from what everyone around him is telling him has died by suicide. So now Andrew is not only like, he doesn't believe that his friend would do something like that. So he feels like he knows him better than that. So he goes and tries to find what actually happened to Eddie, but he's also trying to figure out what on earth Eddie was researching because if that was dangerous, maybe someone didn't want Eddie to put that information out into the world, right? So it gets very intriguing. There's also a very, Andrew's roommate has a very handsome cousin uh, that Andrew is like, huh, I'm, you know, no, uh, he's like, very resistant to the idea that he might be able to fall in love with a man. But uh, that's his journey during this book. And it is very interesting the way that it is handled. I think it's very well handled. Great love story. You want to take Andrew and you want to shake him a lot. (laughs) But uh, it was very creepy. If you love Southern Gothic or um, Southern American folklore, Appalachian folklore, this will be the book for you. And I will say I have seen people try to compare this to like the Raven Cycle. By Maggie yeah. Seafodder. It is it is not. It is not. First off, this is an adult novel, as you will find out when reading about the romance. I mean, it is an adult novel. And <laughs> also, it's like Southern Appalachian Gothic, which is a different strain of storytelling. I don't want to give any spoilers. Well, it is, it's interesting. I mean, I have not read this particular book, but I have read the Maggie Seafodder book. I mean, it's been a long time since I've read it. And just from your description of it, that is not the first book that I think I'd be thinking, hmm, this sounds a lot like that. I mean, maybe it's because I haven't <laughs> maybe because I haven't read the read the book uh, Summer Sons, but interesting that that's the comparison that that you've seen. Yeah, I think I think maybe it's just a group of guys like trying to find a mysterious magical folklore thing, but this is an American folklore versus like Welsh folklore in the the Raven Cycle. So I think it's very interesting to see comparisons. If you have opinions, dear listener, please email us at the email in the show notes. We would love to hear your thoughts on um, Summer Suns by Lee Mandela. And I will, before I'll just go off on this quick tangent before I jump into my first pick. When you learn reader's advisory when if you work in a library reader's advisory like a patron comes up to the desk and says i really like this book can you recommend more books like this and one of the first things that you learn is that just because two stories may have similar like topics or subjects does not mean that they're good read-alikes just i mean that's why that's why algorithms don't generally provide great read-alikes because they're all subject-based. They're like, oh yeah, they deal with these topics or they're both set in this time period and they can just be completely different. So that is my tangent about (laughs) why two books, even though they talk about, 
they maybe on the surface seem like they'd be similar can be completely just not at all comparisons. Anyway, so my first pick is a book that I read probably close to 10 years ago. And I am in the middle of rereading it. Um, So I have read it, but it's been a really long time. And so I'm still getting still remembering some of the some of the details, but I am very much enjoying this one as much as I did the first time I read it. And it is called So Cold the River by Michael Carita. And this book was recommended to me by a patron at my first library job who we were we were talking books. And he asked if I had ever read Michael Carita. And I was like, I've never heard of him. And he told me about this book and he was and he's like, if you like Stephen King, because we have been talking about Stephen King and other authors, he's like, I think you'll really like this author and you'll really like this book in general. And I loved it. This is a, let's see, I don't necessarily know if I'd want, if I'd call it outright horror. It's definitely supernatural thriller, which I think makes it an easier entry point for people who maybe don't want to do outright horror. But it's, it's supernatural thriller with like historical fiction in there. And it really does read like a Stephen King novel. It's set in a small town. It has really interesting characters with multiple perspectives. It's very much a story of like everyday life that is suddenly turned upside down with elements of the supernatural, which seems to be the case in a lot of Stephen King stories. Like it doesn't just just drop you in this like, whoa, what's going on? It just like slowly, gradually introduces it. And it's just a really compellingly told story. So the basic plot is you have Eric Shaw. He is the main character. He is a failed filmmaker living in Chicago. And right now his job is creating basically video, basically they're glorified slideshows, but like video tributes for like birthdays, celebrations, funerals. And he takes, you know, photos and videos and, you know, sews them together to kind of create a picture of this person's life. And he does one for a funeral. And one of the attendees sees the video and asks him if he would be willing to do do a video about her father-in-law's life. He's from a small town in Southern Indiana. And she's like, he's never really talked about his life, but she really wants to put this together for him, for her husband. And she's going to pay him an exorbitant amount of money to go down to Indiana and do it. And what's so special about this area in Indiana is that there are two magnificent hotels built in this tiny, in in these two tiny little Midwestern villages, basically. Like, these are hotels that you would find in Europe. And they're just, you know, in the middle of Indiana. But they're these beautiful places. And he goes there to visit. And almost immediately, he's hit by strange visions, um, like crippling headaches. He, he's hearing music that he can't pinpoint where it's coming from. And he's getting these stronger and stronger glimpses into the, the past when these hotels were built and like the two men that built them and realizing that there was some really dark stuff that was happening back then. And so as the story progresses, he gets more and more drawn into that story. And the the comparisons to The Shining are inevitable. 
I think. You've got, you know, you've got a guy who's hired to, you know, he's involved with this magnificent hotel with a storied past and gets pulled into the, the ghost stories and the darkness that come with it. But it really stands on its own just in terms of the just the imagined history of this place and the the people that that lived there and it's just so compelling like that i think that's really the best word that i can use to describe this book it's compelling it's creepy but not so creepy that you're going to be like oh my gosh i cannot turn out the lights it's just such a good read and i've been i have been listening to it on audio although i switched to the print copy this evening because i knew i was going to get through a bigger chunk of it um if i read through it than if i listened um and sure enough i got through like 100 pages in the span of an hour but if you listen to the audio one of the cool things about it is that they intersperse the story with like background noises and like for example eric's um there he keeps seeing a train. There used to be a train, an old-fashioned locomotive that used to go through the middle of these two towns. And he, like, sees this ghost train. And while the narrator is reading the story, you hear they, they have the sounds of the train, you know, overlaid with the with the narration. Or he hears, like, violin music that isn't coming from anywhere. You can hear, they play violin music in the background oh, while you're listening. That's creepy. It's really cool. And I've listened to audiobooks before that, you know, use special effects or something like that, but I've never had, I've never listened to one that incorporated stuff like that into the story um, or into the narration the way this does, which I thought was really, really cool. And the narration itself is really good. But yeah, I thought that that was such an, such a clever touch. And to tie it all back to our previous discussion, you can find this one on Hoopla. Um, so if you're curious and your library offers you access to Hoopla, um, check it out. And oh, and the other thing I was going to mention while well, I mentioned I read it like 10 years ago. So this is an older book. Um, Michael Carita is still writing novels. Like I think he may actually have a new novel coming out this year. I think I, I think I purchased it for the collection. But he's been writing for a while and he's got a wide range of like horror, mystery, supernatural thrillers. So he he writes kind of across a wide spectrum. But this one is, yeah, this one is just really, really good. And I'm glad that I picked it because it's been really fun re-encountering this book and re-experiencing it. Have you read anything by Michael Carita before? He's not an author that I talk about a lot on the on the show. And I was just like, oh, I should read more of his stuff. Yeah, I don't think I've read anything by him, but it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really good. And I also met him briefly at a conference, and he is very nice. And uh, he thought we had met previously, and I was like, no, we haven't. But that's him, like, he said something, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've met you before. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure I would have remembered that. <laughs> but he was very nice. Anyway, <laughs> that ends my rambling, but... The book is So Cold the River by Michael Carita, and you should all definitely pick it up. Awesome. Should we stop for our next sponsor? Yeah, let's go ahead and take a pause for our second sponsor. All right, take it away, Kendra. Awesome. So my second pick is a book that I read back when it first came out because it was all the rage, and that is Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones, and that came out in 2016. It was one of the first horror novels that I'd read, actually, because I just didn't 
read horror at all, which is weird because I loved watching movies, horror movies as a kid. But yeah, I didn't I didn't pick one up until like I was a, you know, late 20 something, but still, I got there eventually and <laughs> I love this book. I, you know, was a teenager in the original era of Twilight. I have first editions of all of the Twilight books because of course I do. I got rid of mine. I, You know what? I thought about it, but I was like, you know what? No, I am proud. I found them all. Do you know how hard a first edition of Twilight is to find? Because it wasn't like super popular. Like when Anyway, that's a, that is a total rabbit trail that we will do a different time. The reason <laughs> I'm talking about that is because I wanted more werewolf books and I had tried a few different ones and hated all of them. I was like, no. like So I wasn't sure I'd pick this up, but people were saying it was really good. So I picked it up and it is phenomenal. I think that Stephen Graham Jones has really thought through what happens when a person transforms into uh, a werewolf. So like, don't wear pantyhose, ladies uh, <laughs> or men, if that is your choice. But still, whoever you are, be careful wearing pantyhose. They're dangerous. Anyway, so that was an issue for his aunt. So we first start with this story about uh, this young guy who's unnamed and so he is, um, he's really, he lives with his grandfather and his aunt and uncle. And there's this whole backstory of why he's an orphan. That's a big part of the plot. So I won't spoil it, but all of his family are werewolves and he hasn't transformed into one yet. So like he wants to transform into a werewolf so badly, but his family is hoping not so secretly that he won't because then he would be able to be air quotes normal. And so that's the whole kind of um, tension of the story is this kid living with his family and wanting to be a werewolf like them, but they know it comes with a lot of stigma because when they change, they're not always like in control of everything. So because they become more wolf and there's always like these stories that they tell each other about like um, werewolves that went feral and they no longer change back to human and it's a very interesting book that has a lot to say, but also has a very compelling like horror element of these people turning into werewolves. And Stephen Graham Jones is just a great writer. He's gone on. This was really his breakout book, and I'm so happy for him. He was the very first author interview that I ever did. Oh, cool. I did a Q&A with him, and he was so nice. He was so nice. And he says this, like, here's my headshot that my daughter took. And I was like, that's great. It's beautiful. <laughs> so um, very, very kind person. Uh, so yes, I, I love this book. I have a lot of affection for it. So everyone needs to go check out Mongrels by Stephen Graham Jones. And there's no real plot to it. I know everyone's like, wait, what is it about? That's it. There's no plot. They just went around <laughs> doing wolf things. It's fun. Wolf. Huh. Horror wolf things don't wear pantyhose, you know. <laughs> I mean, those are, you know, uh, words of wisdom to live by. <laughs> All right. Well... <laughs> So, my, I don't think my book talks about pantyhose. Oh. So, I know. Bummer. Um, (laughs) So, I know I talked about this book when it came out initially. um, And I've talked about it a few times on the show. But this, I thought, was a great opportunity to remind people that it exists. And it is When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. And this book is... It's described as Rear Window Meets Get Out. And I'm like, that's it. And this was this was published a couple, two, three years after Get Out, you know, first 
hit movie theaters. And I, it's not, it's, I'm sure it's not the first book that was described as, oh, it's like Get Out. Like, but it was one of the first books that I remember looking at it and reading the premise and going, okay, yeah, you know what? I think this comparison might actually work. And it does. Yeah, it's like a social horror thriller. And it takes place in Brooklyn, in this neighborhood that is very rapidly undergoing gentrification. And Sydney Green has lived in this neighborhood basically her whole life. But recently, it seems like all of her neighbors are just like there, there's a for sale sign in front of their houses, and then she never hears from them again. And when she asks around, they were like, oh, I heard they moved to the suburbs, you know, it was getting too pricey, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, you know, she, well, she's like, A, what's going on? Because half of these people, she's like, they've said, you know, they are never going to move. Like they see all of their uh, new neighbors coming in, most of whom are white. And they're like, okay, I see what's happening with this neighborhood. I'm not leaving. And then all of a sudden, poof, they're gone. And so she's like, okay, something's going on here. And she tries to push back with like her own historical walking tour of the neighborhood to like educate people on the history of the place and, you know, all of the, all of the historical events and movements it's seen. And yeah, so she's, so she starts doing research into the neighborhood. And then we have Theo, who is one of the newer neighbors. He's white and he runs into Sydney and he kind of warms his way or not warms his way in, but he, he's like, Hey, I'll be your research assistant. And she's like, mm, I don't really need a white guy helping me with my research, but they end up kind of forming a, an a very unlikely alliance. And because Alyssa Cole uh, is also a romance author, you know, there there is some of that going on in there. But for those of you who are maybe are not romance readers, the thriller element is very much the forefront of the story. The romantic relationship is secondary, very much so. And so that's that's about as much as I'll give with the plot. The first half of the book is a very slow burn. Once you get about halfway, it takes off like a rocket. And I, the last half of the book, like you could not have pried it out of my hands with a crowbar. It was so creepy and like both like, holy crap, this cannot like, this could not possibly be a real thing. And then you're in the back of your head going like, mm, couldn't it though? <laughs> And that's where I think you, the social horror and the social thrillers, they're at their best when they give you a premise that on the, like, like with Get Out, the premise is like, is so ridiculous that you're like, I can't believe people are like, I can't believe this, like they would think people would think this is a thing. And then you look at it closer and you're like, mm, it, you know, it's, <laughs> there's a little too, too much that's hitting close to home there. And I just think she does a really masterful job of balancing the thriller elements with real history, real discussion about modern gentrification and people of color being displaced from their homes. And, you know, just all of the, all of these elements, they just combine into a really, just a really compelling story. One last point, and, <laughs> I remember when I read this and I, and I was reading and I was the character of Theo. And for some reason, 
probably I kept getting an image of Adam Driver in my head. And now I know I'm an Adam Driver stan. And so I was like, okay, am I just like, why? And so I flipped through a couple pages before we sat down to record today and like, like, where does she describe him? I'm like, it must be something. And she said something about like him being like, I think she said he was like really tall with very odd prominent features. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's where I got it from. (laughs) So if they make a movie of this, I think they should 100% cast Adam Driver. (laughs) In the role of Theo. Anyway, I feel like I'm going off on a lot of tangents in this in this episode. But Kendra, did you get a chance to read this one when it came out? I the the publication date says 2020, and I I lost all sense of time during 2020. So I don't know if I'm like, is this a reprint or did it come out earlier? But um, I know I read it shortly after it came out and loved it. I have not read it. I remember when it came out because is this her first mystery or first mystery in a long time? It's, I think it was her first foray into mysteries. Yeah. I mean, she's she's always been... Okay. Yeah. She's always been a romance author, and she still writes romance romance novels as far as, as far as I know. But yeah, this was like her first... Yeah, her first venture into not just mystery, but like hardcore, like social horror, psychological thriller. And she nailed it. <laughs> it is so good. So yeah, I highly recommend this one as well. And that is When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. Well, those are four recommendations. Shall we jump into new books? Yes. I will let you go first because the title of yours is so good. (laughs) So my pick for new book is Goodbye Earl, a revenge novel, and it is coming out on July 3rd. Uh, I love Lisa Crossmith, who is the author of this book. She wrote uh, Whiskey and Ribbons, which is a literary like romance. And she's done a lot of like literary romance, but this is now going into like a literary mystery and thriller area. And I'm so happy for her. <laughs> uh, so this is, you know, you know, the song, right? We all okay. know the song from the chicks, right? That Earl yes. did. I, so anyway, I think all you need to know is the plot of that song to know. <laughs> <laughs> how delightful this book will be. And I love a good Southern revenge story. So, I mean, is there anything else anyone needs to know to like? <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, if you don't know the song, listen to the song, then you'll understand the book. <laughs> yes, but the like key phrase from that song is Earl's Gotta Die. And so uh, that should, <laughs> that is the vibe. But I've been seeing it go viral actually recently for some reason on TikTok. So of that song by the chicks. Goodbye. <laughs> anyway, love it, love it, love it. Can't wait for Lisa Cross Smith. I will read her until the end. What is your new book that you're excited about? Uh, does not come with an earworm like yours does, <laughs> but but actually, and it's funny because we just like a couple months ago, I put up a display at work of books with song titles or earworms in or in the title, and there are so many from uh, as time goes by. Like so many references in book titles to that song, but when I saw this one, saw this one was a book being released, I went, "Should have waited to put up the display. That one would have been perfect." <laughs> All right, so my actual pick is "Evidence of Things Seen: True Crime in an Era of Reckoning" by Sarah Weinman, and this is. It says it's out on July fourth. It may actually be July third, since the fourth is a holiday. I'm not sure, um, but at any rate, it should be out next week. So this is an anthology. Sarah Weinman is the 
I should have mentioned it. She, the, this is an anthology that she is the editor of. So multiple contributors for this one. Um, but Sarah Weinman has really established herself as a voice in true crime writing that looks at like why we read true crime and what is it that compels us to keep reading about these horrifying true stories, um, of, you know, murder and tragedy. What does that say about us as a culture? Whose stories aren't being told? What perspectives are we not considering when when we think about how crimes are covered by the media? And even though it's not officially considered a crime, I think very recently when we look at the two stories of the the Titan submarine versus the story of the uh, ship with over 700 refugees off the coast of Greece and, you know, kind of looking at which which story did the media cover which uh which tragedy got all of the attention and resources so i think this is these are questions we should be asking in a lot of areas of our life but yeah so this is just another example of the work that she is doing um so it's uh, a compilation of uh essays from 14 different crime writers and they talk about things as wide ranging as a lynching that was left unsolved for decades by a very apathetic police force. There's uh, a story on the thousands of women who are in prison for defending themselves against abuse. There's another look at, um, how at the Atlanta spa shootings that primarily targeted Asian women, um, uh, from a few years ago and what does that say about our our culture as a whole in our country? I think this just sounds so fascinating and I think this is just such a such a great collection of these types of conversations that while we are seeing more of them happening, we're also just seeing consumption of true crime just increasing overall. And I think this I think this is going to be a really really insightful look at yeah, the stories we consume and which which stories aren't being told and whose voices aren't we hearing. So again, that is Evidence of Things Seen, True Crime in an Era of Reckoning, edited by Sarah Weinman. And that is going to be out next week. Awesome. Well, well, we did it. We did it. That is the whole thing. Now, if I can get through the outro without tripping over myself, <laughs> we will have arrived. <laughs> Keeping it real here on Red or Dead. All right. Well, that is our show, friends. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. And of course, as always, thanks to the wonderful sound editor that is Jen Zink for making us always sound wonderful. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. And for more book recommendations and bookish goodness, head over to bookriot.com. And of course, don't forget to check out all of Book Riot's podcasts. And you can just search Book Riot in your podcast player of choice and they will pop up. Of course, if you want to send us feedback or show suggestions, you can reach us at red or dead at bookriot.com. As always, that is in the uh, show notes. You can find that link as well. Okay, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at KD Winchester. You can find Katie on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye.